3: hey everybody it's your atomic bomb bruiser hold him no let me try hey everyone it's your stuffed teddy bear but with a weird see-through orb on it that just repeats the same thing over and over again while a woman is brutally beaten by, by her grandson wizard and there's a guy strapped to a chair and i'm a wizard jake i don't know what's happening anymore
4: and it's me your gas station owning uh beleaguered longtime forlorn lover big ed bruiser jake and i got a happy ending and isn't that nice just a hometown story of uh, two people fighting themselves, and nothing else happened in this show.
3: <laughs> and th- we
5: have Natalie with us, too,
3: uh, today.
5: Hi, uh, I'm Natalie Jean. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. <laughs> the horse is the white of the eyes and dark
4: within.
3: Yeah, so Got we're like light. the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream, and... um and uh, don't oh, I'm ask sorry. me who the dreamer is. I'm
4: changing though, because- mine. I'm changing mine. I'm a uh, David Bowie, but a tea kettle. But also <laughs> the dub, the voice has been completely <laughs> dubbed over to the point where the fact that I'm David Bowie is like inconsequential.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore.
3: I'm going to go ahead and recommend everyone listening to this to definitely watch Twin Peaks The Return, but also... Definitely don't try to shotgun blast it in a week's time in order <laughs> to do a podcast on it because I need to be released from the mind of David Lynch. I And am- Mark Frost. Mm. Mark Frost yes. has
5: actually put out several disclaimers that, You should not watch this show like a streaming show. That it is dangerous, and now we are reaping the results of that. We'll see what happens to our families this week.
3: So, yeah, 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 Jake. I want
4: to know the most with me and the return all in like a four day period.
5: That's. Well, we were talking about how you should probably be studied now to see what happens.
4: I feel like the uh, evolution of the arm. I am just a firing synapse with a gummy mouth on a stick. I am just yeah. terrifying right now.
3: Yeah. So it's like I, I and I keep going back and forth from like. I need to be released from this to like, I never want to be released from this. This is where I live now. And I love it here (laughs) to like, Oh God, a fondness for the whole journey that I've been on with this television show to just horror, uh, uh, constant horror to like, you know what I mean? Just absolute befuddlement. I I've howled with laughter at horrific scenes because I'm just the dream. It is the dream logic is so spot on and so maddening that I'm just like, I need it. I'm going on vacation next week.
5: <laughs> I think I gotta do that. I've never felt like I needed to be freed from David Lynch. I really adore him. I've seen Twin Peaks no- numerous times. I've never spent upwards of six hours a day with him. And I've been finding myself just shooting awake at night like three or four different times, just like almost like I'm on drugs or something. And it's, um, I I I also am going on vacation next week, and maybe that's just a coincidence. But I don't know how to get out of this situation other than uh, other to like than to go leave. to Palm Springs.
3: Yeah, other to physically leave my everything I've ever known. I'm going to spend the next seven
4: days in a full Dougie Jones state. I'm just going <laughs> to be muttering and being like pushed from room to room.
5: Oh, that's and, cute.
3: <laughs> in a lime green bla- blazer. Yeah. I love it. It's usually we just talk about the gush, and this is our weird, like, almost anti-gush, but it is a gush because it is this incredible thing, and I think my the fact that Twin Peaks exists at all is such a marvel, and then the return is just so, just so wild to me because it is fully written by David Lynch and Mark Frost. It is most of the actors returned. Lynch directed all of it, and it is 18 hours of it. It is eight uh, spread out over 18 episodes uh, and, and 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 it just is like like uh, I have the quote from the Showtime CEO it's the pure heroin version I believe is what they said of David Lynch it is like this is just there's nothing holding them back and so for me I uh, just to talk about my personal experience with the show I essentially went back like I, I fell off of the the original run of like in the first season of twin peaks the first time i tried to watch it i don't know why just whatever i no good reason i just stopped watching and so when the return came i was like i really want to watch this this looks amazing but i have to actually catch up watch the second season firewalk with me so i started from the beginning and i blasted through the first season of Twin Peaks, the second season, watched Fire Walk with me, and then got through part eight of The Return. Jesus and, Christ, And man. was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then I fell off of it again. And so this actually forced me to go back and finish out the entire run of The Return um, in this very bingey way, which is like, kind of like, I've I, I actually talked to Jake. We're going to probably do a bonus Patreon episode about like coping media Media that you use specifically to cope. Love after lockup. I'm looking at you. Love on the spectrum. Love on the spectrum. I'm looking at you for sure. That's great. That's great coping. But this is like, again, like an anti-cope. It's like this just pushes you to the brink of insanity. And and this is being recorded. But you love it?
5: Yeah. But it's kind of like you want to be there? Yeah.
3: That You like love it, but also you're just like. Uh, especially right now the world is so crazy (coughs) this is just like i mean in a way it's a beautiful escape though because Mm -hmm. like this is way crazier even than the world is so i can just live in this and i'd rather just live in this craziness than a lot of the craziness that you know than going outside with my mask and screaming at a man because he's wearing a a hat i don't like you know what i mean so like
0: (laughs) so like
3: I don't even, I mean, that even sounds like something someone would say in, in, in uh, The Return. But anyways, that's like my personal situation. Natalie, you watched it, when it while it was coming out?
5: Yeah, we watched it in, in real time. And actually, um, here in Los Angeles, there was a fever pitch of excitement. Like, there was a fervor mm. going on. Mm-hmm. Because my favorite part of Los Angeles is the weird art kids who live here. It's like the the L.A. goths if you will, uh, are are really mm-hmm. fascinating. And it's the thing that David Lynch actually loves about Los Angeles is like, I like the darkness under all of the sun. I, I find yeah. that under the palm trees with the blood underneath is like beautiful in a lot of ways. So here there's a lot of people who also have that same sort of uh, love of that. Uh, and so there was so much activity going on in los angeles and there was all these pop-ups and like experiences and uh so it was a really fun time to sort of be here with like other people who were just super psyched about it and we ended up henry and i ended up going to a couple of those like experience situations and you know one was way better than the other but the uh the one we went to that was like They had the whole Black Lodge created. They had the Bang Bang Bar you sat in. It was like very dreamy. It was like on this outdoor porch area. I want to go to the
3: Bang Bang Bar so bad. That place looks so cool.
5: So we were so excited to be in there. And it was like, you know, packed. But um, they had a little stage in the corner. And we were like, oh, this is cool. Maybe like they're going to put like a three-piece jazz band. I would, And they had this little fun themed menu and all this shit. And so we sit down. And a guy goes up to the the microphone and he goes, hey, guys, thank you so much for being here with us at our our Twin Peaks pop up at the Bang Bang Bar. And uh, we have a little surprise tonight. We're going to do something a little different. It is going to be open mic night. Ah. I look at at Henry and I look at his eyes and I see him. Cause I can almost hear his brain spinning out and just going, No and slowly fading away into the distance. And um apparently a lot of the uh background actors from the return you know were hanging around these pop ups because if I was one of yeah. the background actors, I would be hanging out too. And so apparently one of the woodsmen was an aspiring comedian. Uh. And so they had set up an open mic, so we got to be in there and just listen to the people trying jokes for the first time. Oh my
4: god. Uh, so Is this thing that was on the full Is this thing <laughs> on? You guys try Tinder.
3: I mean if they did it as their characters, that would have been <laughs> I would have loved that awesome. if they
5: were in character and costume. Oh my God. That would have been great. Um but uh other than that, yeah, we watched it uh along with the as they were coming out and that was just such A fulfilling experience, especially because he worked mostly on film before. And it was kind of like, he did Inland Empire, but like, what is he going to be like moving to digital? And he just nails it yeah, so hard. The visuals are so beautiful and so horrifying. And I loved it. But it was definitely more of a thing to do in pieces. Like, watching it all together is... Really mentally draining. Yeah, I gotta and,
3: say. And like, it, not only because there's certain parts. All right, this was the part. Let me just go into the description of this sequence. Um, so they're at the diner, and it's uh, at this point Deputy Bobby. He's now a deputy, but Deputy Bobby Briggs, who used to be the bad kid in town. He's yeah, talk- remember
5: he when? Remember when he murdered a guy? <laughs> yeah. I guess they just forget about that. <laughs> That's
3: right. And he is talking to. I forget her name. This is the problem. There's too many people to keep track of. He's talking to the um, the diner uh, waitress that we all know and love from the original run, whose name is Shelley. Yeah, and they're talking about a crime, and it's like a very, and I even had this thought. I was like, ah, this is nice. This is like, OG Twin Peaks, right here. They're having a discussion about a crime. That everyone's concerned, but they're at the diner. And another thing about the diner is, I feel like, at least for me, the diner diner is always like this this safe zone. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like you feel like when you're at the diner, like everybody's gonna be diner people, and it's it's gonna be like not just the safe the, space. Just the yeah, I didn't want to no, say safe the space Even the bad characters has, like, a weird are but. safe. yeah like everybody's in the diner we're gonna have a pretty traditional scene right like usually so they're talking about this crime and then three bullet gunshots (laughs) happen through the window and bobby gets up to go check out what it is he walks outside in the street there is a van and a bunch of cars behind it they're all honking especially this one car that just is just constantly honking during this entire scene where it's this kid found a gun under the seat of the car and shot out the window into the diner and the woman, the mom, is like yelling at the husband and it's this chaotic scene and all these cars are honking and then Bobby's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna get this person stop honking their car and then he goes to the car behind and this woman's just like we've gotta get home, no, we've you, got person, the- you
4: have to say this is a Lynchian freak show. Just yeah. the he, he, I don't know who's the casting agent who's just in charge of finding, uh, tra- t- like non-traditionally beautiful people to be in his media. Yeah But like she is a rhombus of a woman Yeah
3: (laughs) Yeah 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 We gotta get home Her uncle's coming (laughs) And all this just crazy stuff And he's just like what are you talking And then out of the darkness A girl appears in the seat next to her And she's just She's like got zombie arms And she just starts puking green goo And the woman's just going Ah (laughs) "Ah." And then Bobby is just looking at it like What the fuck And I just like just started screaming with laughter because I was like, I think it was what broke me was the horn honking because the horn honking just happened the Mm -hmm. entire time he was talking to this other family. (laughs) And then he goes to see what it is. And it's like crazier than the last thing. And I'm just like, I need out.
5: (laughs) Well, he really loves he really loves intersection chaos. So he Mm -hmm. must have a lot of stress and traffic. Yeah, that's my guess. I could see that.
4: It's amazing that you pointed out that scene because that scene is a point of frustration having shotgunned the whole series. is that like, so again, I'm st- I understand that I'm violating the rules of Twin Peaks watching, which is I'm actually trying to keep track of all the information and see uh-huh. like, remember points and like make connections and like try and get to the bottom of the grand conflict. And so earlier, Hawk, whose who's own uh, plotline throughout this entire series is about him uncovering, like, a clue that has to do with his Native American heritage, and he unveils this, like, ancient map full of ancient symbols from, like, his, uh, from the Native Americans in the area, and he points to this one thing that's, like, the corn is black. It is It represents, like, <laughs> yes. youth and fertility and the next generation, agree, yeah. and it is, it is turned black, and then you see the possessed girl... And the kid who shot the gun also has, like, a creepy look in his eye. And uh-huh. you're like, oh, my God. The Black Lodge is, like, bleeding into the... Like, Laura Palmer yes, is I gone. Do, the con- I'm glad you like, said because
3: I, th- I did make that connection, too, personally. Right. I was like, oh, this is the evil, like, coming out in the in the town.
4: Uh, light versus darkness. Like, this is something big. The, the evil is making its move. Everything has been happening for a reason. And it's building towards this final high-stakes conflict. And then nothing about that comes back. It is completely (laughs) dropped. Does not matter. And you just have to accept that that was like you were you were just dangled a piece of plot fruit and it was just smashed on the ground. Okay,
5: Jake, I would actually I would put I would pause it in there that I don't know if it's necessarily you're not supposed to find the storyline. It's that, well, David Lynch and Mark Frost both separately have different opinions about it. But David Lynch says He does not want to tell you what the story is. He wants you to create what you think it is. And he doesn't want to deny that storyline. So when people ask him to explain, he just always says no. And there's very funny um, like collections of clips of him just saying no to interviewers Mm -hmm. because they want him to break it down so badly. But um, he wants you to do it. And then Mark Frost likes to take it a little bit more literal, which is why I think they work really well together and why they were able to like... Come together for an actual television show Because Mark Frost wants more of a structure And a lot of that Native American stuff Is um, Because Mark Frost is an an author So he's written a few books about it uh, And one of them is basically in dossier form Where it's like Looking at a detective's Read through of all these documents From like the Lewis and Clark era Which is very fun But it's actually a much more literal description Of those kinds of things So it's like You have to do like a Like a 4D chess situation If you really want to find the storylines But Mark Frost actually does try to create them in there
4: But I've also read interviews where David Lynch Will actually say like Oh, I don't read those
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right, exactly (laughs) And Lynch does not love the two books he released uh, The Secret History of Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks The Final Dossier Because they really do fill in a lot of gaps And things like that One of my favorite moments Just another description of like Like how insane this show is They're at the morgue they're looking at this body that has no head, and it's supposed to be of a 75-year-old man, but is clearly the age of 40, and they're perplexed by that. And then the woman said, makes a comment, the morgue, the worker at the morgue, she makes the comment that, great. Uh, that he collected marbles, I believe, or something like oh, that. Yeah. And then Lynch goes, uh, or some, I forget who asked, but someone's like, when did he lose his marbles? And then she says when the dog took the cat's eyes and then there's just silence and lynch just smile like in this <laughs> big it's a, it's a marble grin.
5: pun yeah yeah it's a marble pun <laughs> cat's eyes are marbles get but it that still,
4: has to be <laughs> I, uh, albert that has to be
3: it's, but that's still just like what and then, and then someone just says i forget what the next thing they say but they change the subject and then just say another insanely cryptic thing that it's just like well, bewildering. Right bewilderly. after
5: that line, they go back to like discussing the
3: crime. Yeah, like, but then they yeah, say yeah. a weird thing. That I was just like, I can't. I. It's so wonderful, and and I love that it's so beloved because I feel like it's just so out there and so wild. So it's just great to see that people really do appreciate it, its existence. And it's just, and we're about to get into the nitty gritty, but I mean. I learning about it made me fall even more in love with it especially that it was all written before it was filmed I mean I will say as much as you want to say it's pulled out of an a hole as it is pulled out of a big old B <laughs> at the same time they wrote the entire thing there was no like scripts scripting as they went it was no executive interference. pages and it was it was made like a movie. And that is so impressive to me just on its own. And then the fact that it does take all these wild swings and there's just so many insane moments that I couldn't even begin to list them all. I'll say that it was filmed like a movie. The special effects composite
4: work was made like a 1990 CD-ROM game. And I love it. I
0: love it. I
5: love it. I love the way they did it. I really did. Because I'm sure that was intentional in a lot of ways. Um, And I love that. I think the way that they, which they did a lot in the um, original series too, which I really enjoy, is the way they segment them as they have like the music act and the bang bang bar Kind of end the episode yes. most of the time Which is very a fun way to like Segment them but I still can yeah. never remember Which episodes which
3: I, I will say too that Nine Inch Nails performance Is one of the <laughs> coolest things like, It was great Ever I love it we are already so far in this episode We haven't even gotten into like the history of it all So we really should probably so jump in So when we I mean,
4: last left our <laughs> Our heroes over at um, Frost Lynch <laughs> Productions
3: uh, Things are not going well things are no. not going well at all and uh, it, that's largely attributed to uh, Lynch and Frost abandoning their own show, and especially after the pressures of the network executives to reveal Laura Palmer's killer, which they end up doing weirdly like midway through season two. And then the whole thing kind of falls apart. Lynch and Frost return to do the finale, which is pretty great. Ends on a cliffhanger to try to get another it's season. a
4: great chunk of TV, that season yeah. two finale. The entire mm-hmm. maze of the Black Lodge and that I was we were riveted that yes. whole time.
3: very yeah. good stuff. And next comes Mulholland Drive. Now, what? Very yeah, weird be- turn. Very interesting turn. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, I know what you were about to get excited about because Mulholland Drive was actually going to be a spin-off starring Cheryl Finn's character, Audrey Horn. And this resulted in a 90 minute pilot that they planned called Mulholland Drive, which of course was eventually made as its own thing, not connected to Twin Peaks. Great film in its own right. Definitely check mm-hmm. it out. Finn said, they were like, what if we did a movie and it's Audrey in California. And they talked about an opening scene of her driving along Mulholland Drive and how she's a little bit older, whatever it was going to be. It never ended up happening for me. So after that comes Fire Walk with me. And this I didn't realize how quickly after the show ended. I mean, this is like right, right on the heels of the show ending. Lynch comes out and announces he's making a Twin Peaks uh, prequel film. He said, I couldn't get myself to leave the world of Twin Peaks. I was in love with the character of Laura Palmer and her contradictions. Radiant on the surface, but dying inside. Kind of like what Natalie said about L.A. I wanted to see her live, move, and talk. I was in love with that world, and I hadn't finished with it. Uh, But making the movie wasn't just to hold on to it. It seemed that there was more stuff that could be done. And um, Lynch also said the film was about, quote, the loneliness, shame, guilt, confusion, and devastation of the victim of incest. It also dealt with the torment of the father, the war within him. It was co written by Robert Ingalls, who wrote and produced several episodes of the original show. And uh, Frost and Lynch's relationship at the time is, is strained. And Frost actually opts out of making it with Lynch and goes off to make his film Storyville instead.
4: Uh, the quote I have from actually an old issue of uh, Wrapped in Plastic, the uh, legendary fanzine for And we'll talk Twin about Beats.
3: that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a bit.
4: They basically published an oral history of Firewalk with me is uh, Mark Frost said that he was not involved at all. This is the quote. David and I had a disagreement about what direction a movie should go. I felt very strongly that our audience wanted to see the story go forward. So I declined
3: to be involved in the movie. Yes. And, of course, Lynch wanted a prequel. So it's only a month after the show was canceled that he makes this announcement. And he ends up getting the film funded by a French company called CIBY. Uh, its head, Francis Bourgeois, Bourgeois, was largely disliked in France, uh, which yeah. actually ends up coming into which, play. Let's agree.
4: That's <laughs> pretty hard considering the people that the French do like. <laughs> <laughs> You're
3: a trash country full of trash oh, people. All right, please. Uh, either way, this was a part of a three picture deal with Lynch that ends up not fully coming to fruition because of what happens with Firewalk with Me when it is released. Kyle McLaughlin, all the actors, a lot of the actors, at least are very disillusioned. They felt very abandoned in during that season, too. Kyle McLaughlin has to be talked into coming back to play the role uh, and and even gets his role downsized because he's just very frustrated with David Lynch at this point well, he it's he
5: actually um he said absolutely he said no completely <laughs> to it. And so they were kind of writing it without him. and then he decided. Later on, I don't know if they had a discussion or he had a change of heart, but he decided he wanted to be a part. So they made him a much smaller that he only had gotcha. was on set for five days of the entire shoot.
3: Gotcha. Gotcha. Which I mean, very
4: short shoot, too, though. So I think it's a mix of, uh, you know, A, he didn't feel like he owed uh, that particular production any favors at this point, And B, it would have like, you know, he, he was at a stage in his career where he was he couldn't like get himself fully typecast as Dale Cooper for the rest of his life. But he couldn't, like, spurn the giant fan base that he had built through that role either. Uh-huh.
5: Totally. And and I'm sure that there was some conflict, too, because he and Lynch have already developed such a personal relationship. But at the end of season two, it like, the show went from being this bright star that everyone was obsessed with to everyone sort of rolling their eyes at it and kind mm-hmm. of um, being disgusted by it a little <laughs> bit. And so I, I think probably that's challenging as an actor of, like, what do you do with that? Yeah, moment in time,
3: and Lara Flynn Boyle just absolutely does not return, as well as Sherilyn Finn and Richard Bamer. That weirdest thing for me watching Firewalk with Me is Moira Kelly is cast as Donna instead, and having to make that jump and be like, "Oh, Donna is this other total yeah. other person," right?
5: And they're both, I in my opinion, they're both fantastic in uh-huh. that part, mm-hmm. but they end up embodying her in a different way. And that I don't know if that was Lynch's decision or if they just the actors naturally did, but the Donna in the Firewalk With Me is much more innocent and Uh naive. Mm
3: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, also famously, David Bowie made a cameo, a role he would later state as crammed in. Apparently, David Lynch's assistant asked him multiple times to write a part for David Bowie, so Lynch finally caved and just wrote him into the thing. So, sometimes personal assistants can make magic happen, like getting David Bowie in a David Lynch film. Bowie did say, however, I highly recommended recommend working with David. He's delightfully bonkers.
5: If I had the power, I would shoehorn myself into a David Lynch movie at f- the top of my list, the first right. thing I would do.
3: <laughs> and also just be like, you should put, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a band that's cool. You should put, like, The
0: Flaming Lips in episode four. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Miguel Ferrer, the guy uh, who plays uh, Detective Albert uh, I'm sorry, Special Agent Albert I forgot his last name But, you know, the sarcastic, low-voiced guy yes. That guy has, uh, His story is uh, I remember we were shooting this scene in the FBI office With uh, David and Kyle and David Bowie Who was great, by the way He was so cool uh, We were just about to roll camera And Lynch comes up to me uh, He always called me Albert He said, Albert, that's David Bowie And I said, yeah, I know and he said back, pretty cool, huh? And then he just walked and <laughs> sat back down and said, roll camera.
3: <laughs> so filming took place for just a couple of months in Washington, which went over schedule. Therefore, Laura Palmer's death scene, Palmer's death scene ended up happening on an L.A. soundstage. When the film was shown at uh, and, and so, yeah, OK, so the, the movie gets made. And the film is shown at the 1992 Cannes Film Festival, and it was rumored that it received boos and hisses at the credits, though Robert Ingalls does deny this. And the re- oh, really? Re- yeah, he does deny that. It's that happened. part
4: of the legend of this movie, though.
3: Really? Like, yeah,
5: because that—that's a big part of the 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 myth of the.
4: The mythos,
3: yeah, yeah, totally. But I, I feel like even if it didn't get booze and hisses, it was still definitely disliked at at, at the time of its release. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say it. I, I didn't like it. Okay, so yeah, I was I was very curious to hear your. I think for me, I like like I like pure Lynch. I love you know Mahal Drive, Blue Blue Velvet, these sorts of things. And it and I had already been. I was already like on board with Twin Peaks. So it was really cool to see a unleash, and obviously this is before watching the return, which I think is definitely superior, but it was really fun to see unleash David Lynch on the world of Twin Peaks. And I also am a horror fan, and I did recall enjoying it at the time, though also feeling like it was it was really intense and it was really it was a difficult film. Jake, yeah. you watched it for the first time very recently, and you've been just again, shotgun blasting this entire thing with <laughs> your your lovely fiancé. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just so curious to know what, what you thought. So you did not appreciate it or didn't enjoy it. Intellectually,
4: I can understand the idea of like, this was a necessary story to tell and it was told artfully and like that Laura Palmer's like uh, descent and destruction was the crux of this world. And it had always been hinted at and seeing it for what it truly was, which was this, uh, horrifying thing was necessary otherwise it, you could just hand wave it as just this spooky thing that happened off screen but like the open yeah I even like the opening scenes with like fake uh agent Preston Chris Isaac just like walking around doing the Dale Cooper thing until they haven't they got enough days of shooting to bring Dale Cooper in <laughs> but like once we just got to like topless Cheryl Lee screaming Uh and like being uh, mean to her friends because she can't talk about the horrible thing that's happened and being terrorized and just being exploited and being hurt and being murdered like there was no aesthetic like all this stuff like and it happens basically as it was laid out in the original show so like I'm not gaining any new and like that's uh-huh. right. The The thing that you know was bad and difficult to process was bad and difficult to process. And uh-huh. movies don't have to be fun time, good times. But like, I just didn't need to see
3: all that. I did feel yeah. like the nudity was excessive. Well, I remember that.
5: That was the thing you worried about. You, the thing about Firewalk With Me is too many boobs.
3: <laughs> I just felt, I was like, is this necessary? I don't know. Sometimes I, I ask that question when there's like a lot of Nudity and like an art picture I'm like okay what is the need for this Right well David
5: Lynch definitely Uses boobs a lot like Uh I mean mall and drive there's Uh A lot of boobies Um, (laughs) But uh, and I personally Appreciate it (laughs) but um, I actually was really thankful to Have watched this again Because of the podcast Because um, the Mm -hmm. first time I saw Firewalk With me I uh, Didn't think I'd Ever watch it again Uh, It Uh was really difficult to get through, of course. And, you know, it's very... Before the term trigger warning existed, it's very Mm. triggery. And to watch it a second time was actually really illuminating because you watch it the first time and you're just so shocked by everything that's happening. And it is straight horror. It's like his old traditional, like, Eraserhead kind of movie where there's no humor sprinkled into it. And it's hard to say why exactly. I wonder if it, it was even because partly... Uh, because of the t- bad feelings he had about the way Twin Peaks went as the yeah, show, and if it, it like kind like of it, came through,
3: it was but, it felt violent about.
5: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's almost like trying to like murder <laughs> Twin Peaks, but um, also I I really do from listening to interviews with him and stuff. I really do appreciate also that he was expressing the w- the results of uh, sexual abuse and childhood sexual abuse and incest. In a way that's very realistic And as people like If you've gone through childhood sexual abuse it, it it does feel like that It feels like somebody It feels grating The way the movie is The way that it's like relentless And if it's within your own family You are alone You are an island And like that experience Is very rarely shown in movies Unless it's very exploitative In like a torture porn kind of way uh-huh. And to show it from the, the victim's perspective Actually really um, almost became healing in a way to me to watch it a second time. And also I have to just say like Cheryl Lee in that movie is that performance is a, one of a kind in history. Like she, she is astounding in that movie. Yeah. So Good, and she went through. She was almost in the um the way like Tony Collette was in Hereditary, where yeah they weren't. Neither of them are recognized for those parts in the yeah. way I feel like they should have been. Um, but she, re- she was young too when she did this, and like the depth of character she puts into that is, I'd almost recommend if people tried that movie and were just like, holy shit! I just recommend like listening to some of the interviews and like the backstory and trying to watch it again. And um, also very quickly I will say I got a lot of really cool um, There's a YouTube channel called Lost at the Movies That doesn't have a ton of views And I really think people should go check out what he's done He broke down Twin Peaks from beginning to end in chapters And uh, he d- uses a lot of allegory And kind of does like some conspiracy uh, Room 237 kind of stuff Where he's like looking uh-huh. for meanings But it's it was really interesting And he did a good job with it So that I, I watched a lot of that too but yeah, that was really long-winded, but I really wanted to just uh No,
3: absolutely. No, that's great. And that is a you said that's like a 4-hour breakdown, right? Is that what you said? Well, the that channel
5: it's very long, but the uh-huh. middle middle chapters are about Firewalk with me specifically and okay. um
3: yeah. That's very cool. And and there's just a lot of stuff out there, which is of course the reason for the season is for people to speculate and Put all these things, you know, all these uh, breakdowns on the internet, and there is no shortage of that still on YouTube and whatnot, which is fantastic. Uh, so, but going back to the movie, people hated it first. It was, it was super super largely disliked a lot of that was because a little bit of what we just described how there's really no humor in it all of those that humor all of those all characters, of the quirky
5: stuff is gone yeah all
3: the quirky stuff's yeah. gone and uh, there was actually a lot of stuff shot there was there was humor stuff shot there were other characters yeah. that were left at the cutting room floor because he just didn't feel like it was necessary to tell the story he was trying to tell at the end of the day. Famously, Quentin Tarantino, who was riding high on Reservoir Dogs at that Cannes Film Festival, said, I think it's Khan, but whatever, manga, manga. <laughs> After I saw Twin Peaks fire walk with me at Cannes, David Lynch had disappeared so far up his own ass that I have no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. And you know, I loved him. I loved him. The, and the film receives mostly negative reviews that mirror this from uh, American critics. The film does, however, do, and and this really points to what Natalie was just saying, the film does actually do quite well in Japan, especially with the female audience. And David Lynch himself attributes this to them being a repressed and abused group that that identify with the character of Laura Palmer, which I think is pretty interesting.
5: Well, fucking, not to be a complete boner killer, guys, but <laughs> in America, I think we are so um, oppressed sexually that... Even though this uh-huh. happens all the time in this country, we that people can't it. even... We deny it. We we want to blanket, which they show in the movie. The the mother um, kind of knowing it's happening and then just pretending it's not and like taking the drugs at night that he gives her so she'll go to sleep and all that shit. So like fucking Cheryl Lee says that's what really sticks with her with this movie more than anything is people come up to her all the time saying... I finally feel like I'm not completely isolated in what mm. this has happened to me. Yeah. So, aren't you guys glad you brought me onto the show? It to this
3: perspective so much. This is so helpful in discussing this film because I think we. I just would have been like boobies, and it was scary. Next, so um, <laughs> no, I, I would have been like,
4: great. yeah, this sure is a woman being sexually assaulted by her own father in a community that's doing nothing truly to help her. Yep, I that is what I am looking at. <laughs> But I understand
3: I just Feels bad bro It does speak towards uh, a purpose That it has a, a, a be- more of a purpose Than just being like oh, Alright oh, yeah, There's,
5: yeah. there's <laughs> scary shit And this is one of those ones too where he has The sort of dream uh, logic mixed With an actual mm. storyline Which mm-hmm. he usually kind of goes one way or the other And this sort
4: of blends mm. them a little bit
3: Yeah which I think the return does like In spades Yeah definitely
4: Yeah <sighs> And it does the important work of laying out a million different Black yes. Lodge uh, characters that you barely recognize as named individual entities, and then during the return, they name drop them like you're supposed to remember. That's the Pinocchio guy. That's the late. <laughs> la- that's the that's the old lady. That's the, like
3: yeah. There's a bunch of stuff in Firewalk with Me actually. It's very useful information for the return, including the meaning of Blue Rose the function of the Jade ring, the use of electricity as a malevolent supernatural force, and what became of Laura's missing diary pages. It also contains the line, we live inside a dream, which is revisited by Monica Bellucci who plays herself in David Lynch's character's dream sequ- uh, s- sequence, and she has, says the line, we are the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. Who do you think the dreamer is? I think it's I, I think it's Lynch himself or Agent Cooper. I think,
5: yeah, it might be Cooper because, you know, uh, there is um, some theories that the beginning of Firewalk With Me, where it's the alternate universe, the parallel city of Twin Peaks, where everything's like a little bit. It's like Twin Peaks, but kind of like like uh, Carnival Mirror warped mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. there's a theory that all of that is actually Cooper's. Dreaming and then as that Ends and he's brought in that's like him Waking up and that's why he runs into the office Afterwards
3: yes. I need to, I need to go And I, like it was just so much to get Through all of it and I now need to go I guess And sit down and watch these people Scream at me <laughs> via a YouTube Video about what it all means
5: Oh you? I mean just be careful man because uh, <laughs> You could get lost for Literal years in, in Twin Peaks Discussions
3: yeah I feel like I'm stuck In time right now or
4: something If you want, you can download every issue of Wrapped in Plastic and uh, read Ah, what people in 1993 thought it all meant.
3: See, that's fascinating to me. That is actually really
4: interesting, yeah.
3: So, the movie is revisited by film critics in the 2000s, where it was received much more positively. Chris Rodley, uh, uh, a guy named Chris Rodley, wrote a book called Lynch on Lynch, who said, Only now is the movie enjoying a degree of cautious but sympathetic critical reevaluation. It is undoubtedly one of Lynch's cruelest, bleakest neighborhood visions and even managed to displease diehard fans of the series. In exposing the very heart of the television series, Lynch was forced to accept that he was unlikely to return to the town of Twin Peaks again. And Natalie, I think there is actually something, I think you said it or maybe Jake, about how it did seem like he was potentially with this film trying to kill the the enterprise a little bit
5: that's i got that idea like it's just my own personal thought on it but it does seem a little bit like uh, he's beating it down like he has some sort of anger left inside about the way it went because he was very unhappy with them forcing the storyline he always thought it was her father but he didn't want to reveal it in that way or ever maybe
3: and that would have been brilliant. I mean, I, I could totally see five seasons of that show. Totally. You know, and, and only getting the real answer at the very end in, in a really artful way.
5: But, you know, the alternate is actually so beautiful that mm. instead you get to use the I'll, I'll see you again in 25 years come yeah. to fruition, which,
0: which is, is so,
3: so cool.
5: fucking Insane. metal and amazing and cool. <laughs> like. Who gets to do that?
3: Yeah, it's it's just, I love it. I get so fired up just thinking about how amazing the fact that The Return exists is. And we're about to get there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about The Cult Following because this show really it, is, is, it was the start of the internet. I love these stories where I get to say that because it just blows my mind that the internet wasn't a thing at a point in time. Like the internet was just starting and this really was the one of the very first shows where people were talking in forums in, in you know, different spaces in the Internet to speculate over it. And that is really what kept the show alive for so many years. And you already mentioned the zine wrapped in plastic. It ran for 13 years, which is just mind-boggling to think about. As it's just two seasons of a TV show. It's just, what, 20 episodes and still 13 years of speculation and a film and Firewalk with me. And, uh, yeah, the, the, there was also alt.tv.twin-peaks. Just the idea of like how old school this is. And that had a lot of forums for discussion and whatnot. Then in the mid-90s, the VHS box set comes out. And that was, again, just re-exploded that idea. It really was, again, too, one of the first times people were like binge watching a thing in order to get back online and re-speculate. Oh, and during that
5: time, too, you were mentioning uh, the Japanese... Uh, Culture really liking Uh Firewalk with me Did you guys happen to get to see Any of the Japanese coffee commercials With Twin Peaks? Oh yes
3: I saw some like really cool um, Stands that they had in like Video shops. We uh, watched it as part Of the
4: uh, Sunday study session the entire uh, It's because it's a united Plot line where the mascot or The spokesman of The Georgia coffee company Georgia coffee yeah uh, (laughs) Enlists the help of Dejan Cooper To track down his like beloved wife who's gone missing and every single time like lucy comes in or just they go to the diner and like he literally smacks the cooper smacks the coffee out of their hands and goes no 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 georgia coffee (laughs) like smooth delicious bold
5: and i believe lynch also directed those Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) i almost like do do you mind mary would you pull one up just because like they're very funny
3: Come on, let's grab a bite in a can of Georgia, Agent Cooper. Shelly, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. It's called Georgia Coffee. Comes in a can. Tastes as good and rich as any cup of coffee I've ever had. It's true.
2: Are you Ken? Yes. A beautiful woman left this here for you. Georgia,に任せろ.
3: Hell yeah! Uh, so this is what's keeping the thing alive up to the point where we get to more modern times with streaming and the show hits Netflix and. myself, Mr. Ben Kissel, my roommate, we all became obsessed with the show then, years and years later, you know? And just having heard rumblings, it was always like, I think before when it was just about the VHS tapes, it was like kind of that cool kid show Mm -hmm. that like you knew that one super savvy like dude who had the VHS box set, but like nobody else and and was telling everybody about how amazing the show is, but like no one had the, you know, no one's gonna go out and like buy a full, VHS tape box yeah. set of a TV show hey, kids, They'd never
4: seen before b- Get a shelf You're gonna need one yeah. <laughs> so, just like <laughs> Hey how much do you like Twin Peaks I like it pretty enough. enough to have a whole shelf in your house Dedicated to it No Too bad
3: <laughs> So then Back in 2007 uh, in order To accompany the Complete mystery DVD box set There was a, f- a first attempt at a revival In its own way With comic book artist Matt Haley getting the support of Robert Ingalls to create a graphic novel to accompany that set, and they get the rights to make an adaptation from CBS Paramount. Ingalls agrees as long as Haley can get Lynch and Frost's blessing, which Frost gives, but of course, Lynch does not, who does not want to continue the story in any way at that time, so the project totally falls through. That was the first attempt, and there'd been rumors... Tons of speculation for years and years and years, but it's not until 2014 that Showtime announces that it was moving forward with a nine-episode miniseries written by Lynch and Frost and directed by Lynch, and this would be a continuation of the series. And also that it would be set in present day with the passage of 25 years, as Natalie said just, just before, being an important part of the plot. And in 2015, Lynch spoke of doubts about the production. I remember this new news as it was happening. I wasn't even a big Twin Peaks fanatic, but there was so much drama around the show even happening that it like regularly made news that I would I would end up reading about. But yeah, he spoke about doubts about the production due to, quote, complications, and later said he would not direct the nine episodes due to budget constraints. So the money is the issue here with Showtime. And he ends up uh deal, speaking with Showtime they end up finally reaching an agreement he essentially just puts his foot down and he's like i'm only doing it w- for this much money and with the over these episodes and i'm not budging on this i think he really learned a lot of lessons especially well, from- yeah it
5: was almost like I, I, the way i've read it and, and this is something that you know like mel brooks, Lloyd kaufman like filmmakers who have to get shit done say they're just they'll go like okay and then they'll write the thing and they'll be like Well, this is actually 18 hours, so we're making it now because all these people want it, and then just like giving them an ultimatum.
3: Yeah. And if you're David
5: Lynch, you get it.
3: Yep. He said, I always say ideas dictate everything. Ideas came, and this is what the ideas presented. Just focusing on Twin Peaks, these things came out for us, and there they were. Now, let's talk about this insane cast. Of course, we're not going to cover everybody. It is, how many people, I mean, how many people are like the main cast? Like, 40 people or something.
4: Each location had its own, like, TV show's worth of cast.
3: I guess yes. we should also say, if, if you're not familiar with The Return, and by the way, there are, pro- there are probably going to be some spoilers coming, so if this already catches your fancy, maybe even go watch and return yeah. to this in, I don't know, a month. But
5: parcel it out. Please, <laughs> yeah, please don't no one, do this no to no your one. family
3: I, right I, now. I, I like feel like I should just lay in the fetal in the shower just for, like... <laughs> The next two days, I feel like something's been taken from me. But either way, Lynch said, I called all the regulars or most everyone, and I had a chat. These people are like family. So it was so beautiful calling them and talking to them again and getting together like for a family reunion. The regular casting process went from there with all the new people. And as you know, there was about 235 cast in this film. I would have liked (laughs) to work with all of the originals. Like you say, some of them had passed away, but I'd say 99%. Were there ready, willing, and able to go to work. Lynch also said, I didn't ever talk about the story or anything. Just their willingness to get back in the world. They all know their characters. They know the world, and they love the world like me. It was so beautiful. I'm telling you, it was a love fest. Also, I think I cut myself off earlier when I meant to say this. The return's so different. It's way outside of Twin Peaks. There's all these different locations. Big locations where, with, with all this disparate cast that all converges essentially, by the end of the season.
5: Yeah, brings the desert into it, which is very different uh-huh. from Twin
4: Peaks. Very, uh, very different. I will say, it's like, the casting is at once, like, incredible and, like, a little bit weird. Like, uh, stuff uh-huh. like... Oh, I mean stuff like having Michael Sarah show up and do a bad Marlon Brando impersonation, and just there's just a dedicated scene where the joke is, "Hey, it's Michael Sarah doing a bad Marlon Brando impersonation for a couple of minutes." I
5: don't know. It's such a, I have such torn feelings about that scene because it's a little <laughs> like you feel like it's a little stunt casty, but also they don't really care about that, so it's kind of also very funny and. Michael Cera can be kind of annoying, but also he made me laugh a lot during yeah. that scene. Oh no, scene. it was a
4: good scene. I'm not complaining about the scene, but that there's clearly like a lot of weird behind the scenes jostling going along where like casting directors and production companies and all these things were going along being like dude, I want in on this.
3: I want I in on this. I loved how against right, type I felt like yeah, Amanda's, totally. Amanda Seyfried's character was. I, yeah. I loved how crazy her character was. She did yeah. a really good job with it. Matthew oh, yeah. Lillard is like... Oh my
5: God, Matthew, Matthew Lillard. Lillard is so
3: good. It's hard to not see Matthew Lillard as Matthew Lillard, though. I will say that. But it like, is impossible. He is so good. In the, in while, watching that, sh- while watching
4: him for the... like. You cannot make, uh, you cannot resist making Scooby jokes because he's in he's in trouble with the law and there's like blood on his hands. Like shit's getting real, and all I can think is just like. Oh, zoinks.
5: Yeah, no, for sure. And also he plays um, and there's this amazing episode of SVU where he plays Carol Burnett's lover and he plays sort of a similar like crying, sobbing character. <laughs> and it's a great episode. I recommend it highly. But he's just he, he crushes that character. He's perfect for it in uh, Twin Peaks.
3: At one point, I'm like, oh, it turned into a Tarantino movie all of a sudden because you've got Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Leigh as criminals, as like assassins. And
5: I say, yes, please. <laughs> fucking Ernie Hudson, man. Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Ernie
4: Hudson. Uh, Tim Roth says in an interview that uh, he actually just uh, kept bothering uh, David Lynch via text until he agreed to get more screen time.
5: <laughs> oh, we get it. You have his number. Congratulations.
4: <laughs>
3: But let's go back To, to some of the uh, Original cast as well Kyle MacLachlan Confirmed to return Pretty early on However Michael Ontkeen Who played Sheriff Harry S. Truman Was retired from acting And would not be returning To reprise the role So the sheriff role Was filled by Robert Forster, Who's amazing And mm-hmm. I had no idea About this He was originally Supposed to play That part In the original show And was unable to Due to scheduling reasons But oh, he's Oh cool fantastic. I didn't know that Yeah how cool is that
4: He was supposed to play Harry Truman He was like supposed to play, was to play yeah. the,
3: the original yeah, character the original sheriff so That's it was cool. kind of this fateful situation and then also returning were the Horn brothers Richard, played by Richard Bamer and David Patrick Kelly Amazing. the stoner so thing, like that whole thing <laughs> is so good my binoculars killed somebody <laughs> <laughs> as well as Alicia Witt as Kirsten Hayward who was
4: she was the piano girl in the original series I completely forgot that until my beautiful fiance Marie was like you know that was the piano. That was Donna's sister who played piano, and I was like, "Oh fuck, that was the same actress!" Jesus.
5: Oh, uh, you're right.
3: <laughs> You've got yeah, Michael Horse is who's amazing. He's Sherilyn so fucking Finn good. Is great, and, and mm-hmm. as Audrey Horn. and I'm so happy to see her back on the screen. She,
4: oh, okay. Another thing, another thing in the return is like, okay, so Sherilyn Fenn shows up in her own like kind of separate plot line, separate mm-hmm. from everything else. And because her character in the end of season two was, like, left in a bank explosion.
5: <laughs> yeah, just sort of, like, never described what happened. And uh, that's actually um, why Sherilyn wasn't in Firewalk with me, is that she really hated the way her character's role mm. developed. And so she just refused to be in the story. So I'm glad that they got it back together and worked it back in somehow.
4: But, like, she's in this weird nightmare zone. And immediately, again, I'm, this. the experiences was... So what's going on with, like, because, like, this she's married to this weird guy. They're in this, like, circular dream logic conversation that doesn't go anywhere. Like, what is going on? And, uh, again, my fiance Miru is, like, she was in a banking explosion. Doc Hayward said she was in a coma. This is all a coma dream. And, like, they said Evil Cooper, like, visited her hospital before he disappeared. And now they have a, like, Ben Horn has a grandson that's off doing crazy shit. Like she's like a hosp- she's like a coma rape victim, and like, yeah. and I was like, oh fuck, you're right. They're gonna get into that, and they don't get into it.
5: <laughs> but they want you to think she's a coma rape victim. So good job, you did. Do it.
3: they? What do they think want? So. Tell me I what they so. want.
5: I think they wanted you to be thinking about this while you went to sleep, Jake. <laughs> ah!
3: Harriet Dean Stanton, uh, played by Carl Rod. Uh, you've got Russ Tamblin as Dr. Lawrence Jacoby, who's great. I want his glasses. And yes, also, one of the most harrowing elements to me, I had no idea about mm. this until, and it makes re-watching her scenes just so impactful. And there's something, about, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a sense of, acceptance of death of terror of death but either way katherine e colson who played the log lady died of cancer in september of 2015 with her final scene being filmed just four days before yeah. she passed and you see that it just you feel that in the performance
5: oh yeah i mean it's it's captivating and uh also mark Frostad, who plays the doctor who does mm-hmm. a skype scene he passed right after that oh yeah and- Harry Dean Stanton also passed very shortly after he shot his scenes. Wow,
4: Miguel Ferrer, uh, Agent Albert, also is on that list. It's a it's a it's a harrowing like they got him right before. They
5: really it's it's kind of beautiful like they got to say their goodbyes almost mm-hmm. to yeah. everyone and it, it's it's impactful certainly.
3: McLaughlin said, "I do think the way David handled the return of Catherine was really beautiful and elegant. She's there and she's present. I think it was his way of saying to her that he loved her." Which I think is so sweet. Um, so new to the cast, however, is uh, okay. Big spoilers up incoming now. So uh, th- th- this is the point of no return. People who have been listening to this episode at this point, new to the cast was Laura Dern, a frequent member of Lynch's stable, of course, and yeah, and and, and she was cast as a top secret role. I guess should we say? I guess we don't have to say who she is. I. But either it's, way, it's knowing what?
4: who she is doesn't. Uh, like pull away from her contribution to the series. I think
3: again, and what's always funny is like, there really aren't spoilers at the end of the day because like, it's not really about that. But either way, she is Diane who of course, McLaughlin is always talking to in the tape recorder all through the original run of twin peaks. And this ends up reuniting her with Kyle McLaughlin for the first time since blue velvet. I love their chemistry together. I love just seeing them in the same scene screen together. I love them in Blue Velvet. I've gotten so much about Blue Velvet <laughs> before, but I am just such a big... I think that's one of the best films ever made, personally. I just think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then you also had David Bowie, who you mentioned was overdubs, and I love at least the reason why. His health was declining. He was asked to come back, but was unavailable, and I think that's because of his declining health. But he gave permission to use old footage of him, which was to be used as long as they replaced his voice because he hated the accent he did. And he asked oh, for an yeah. authentic Louisiana actor to do it. And that is why his voice gets ever de- dubbed. It's a acronym. really Nathan, bad accent in
4: Firewalk With Me. It, it is distracting. <laughs> it is. I just love that. More distracting than it's David much. Bowie. More yeah. than the yeah. fact that you're like, oh shit, it's David Bowie. It's him going like. The dreamer. We're golly. Y'all. <laughs>
5: yeah. You know, it's like he really didn't have time to do that movie. He was recording at the time and he like jumped in there. I, I get it. I would have tried to force myself into it, but he definitely had no time to like prepare for.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger McNuggets or Mc crispy sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun.
3: Also, uh, you mentioned David Lynch, like who is David Lynch's casting person? He brought in longtime associate Johanna Ray. We talked about her last episode, but I have this quote from Lynch. The way Johanna, Johanna, Johanna and I have been working is this. She's read the script and I've talked with her about it all 200 pages or 500 pages, by the way. Uh, I've talked with her about it and she shows me pictures, still photos of the actors, Then she picks maybe 10 photos, and I look at them. You can tell a lot, but not everything from those photos. Then she interviews the people on video, and I see these people talking and see what they look like as they talk, and that's what usually seals the deal. You do see things in people, and you know you might be seeing something that they may not be known for, but you know it's them. And I will say there's something about the way that makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like so many of his cast are striking-looking. You know, like like Bobby Briggs, like Dana Ashbrook, right, for example, or um, who else? Uh, Harry Goes, who plays Deputy Andy, like they just have such a very big specific look that it makes sense that it would start from a photo and go from there.
5: Totally. And uh, I don't know what this means, but I want to I want to kiss most of them, most (laughs) of the people.
3: Uh huh. Very, oh man, very attractive uh, cast unless it's somebody who's definitely supposed to make you go, ah! Oh.
4: <laughs> I want to kiss them too. <laughs>
3: I want to kiss
4: those people. There was a, <laughs> like a, that weird, in the first episode where we see Bad Bob for or Bad uh, Cooper for the first time yeah. and it's just this den of like, hillbilly crime lords and all yes. of them have like real fuck energy despite their jacked yeah. faces
3: oh god that arm i'm just remembering that arm the, wrestling oh the scene. arm so wrestle weird. weird god that was so weird
4: see it hurts my arm like this <laughs> it's the better starting, back at the, the start st- <laughs> <So> <laughs> just
3: like, ah, that's like like again, just nails that what it is to be in a frustrating upsetting dream It just kills it. It's just so good. So, uh, McLaughlin had this to say about getting into the creation of the actual content. It was a different tone, maintaining some of the heartwarming moments from the original television show, but certainly not dwelling on them. In those first few scenes that David gave me to read, I recognized that this was not a nostalgic return to twin peaks. I realized that David and Mark didn't feel the least bit compelled to revisit what we knew from before.
4: The, uh, we're in, we're in full spoiler town, right? We can, we
3: can go. Yeah, we're in spoiler town. Spoiler Town, it's the funnest town. Ta- yeah, yeah, we're there. Uh,
4: when they inter- Lucy, when she like in the first episode just has a panic attack because she sees a cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's like, oh, this is full on shenanigans. And then in the second, in the yeah. big confrontation, she like shoots uh, evil Dale, and like her first words are just. I'm not scared of cell phones anymore. Like, that was for arm. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were also going to mention
5: the scene where they're fighting over the color of the armchair. And they just go back and forth to each other's computers, like, six times. Yes. I like the beige chair.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Their relationship, uh, Andy and Lucy, Lucy. I I just, is the, relationship goals. Yeah, so cute.
5: I mean, they th- th- is this rude? I don't. I don't want it to be rude. I mean this in a positive way. I think <laughs> they remind me of you and Lexi a little bit. <laughs> a little bit.
3: A little bit. I see it. I don't think that's rude. I'm uh, just saying,
4: there's nothing offensive about saying Lexi is a uh, doubting. Uh, a, I'm sorry, a doting baby woman, and you're a lumbering idiot. It's fine.
3: She's <laughs> also doubting. You know, she's also doubts me. Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, <laughs> So they, of course, use the final moments of the season two finale to guide them through this this journey with good Cooper being trapped in the Black Lodge and bad Cooper getting out along with the spirit of Laura whispering to Cooper, I will see you again in 25 years. So Frost then wanted to explain the story past the town of Twin Peaks. And that's where all the new locations and the storylines come in. And the first two seasons dealt with the theme of evil however frost felt the show was conceived in a quote far more innocent time which i loved that Mm. quote that it was so innocent back then when they when they explored the evil they were exploring and this is on another level because of how fucked things have gotten in the world Um, even just
5: while they started production into filming the world changed so drastically Uh
3: uh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh for sure Frost said, really the baseline of human experience is that we aren't going to be here forever. So for me, it put me in mind themes of mortality, friendship over time, and what really matters. And then we had the opportunity to go back and look at this very large set of characters and see what had happened to them and what their lives had done to or for them. And then wrap it all in a larger context. That was really my big objective. I said, we've got to get out of the town. We've got to enlarge the scope of the canvas, and we've got to make this about more than just this sleepy, creepy little hamlet. We want to make it a little bit more about contemporary life. So the whole thing centers around Cooper's journey with Frost looking to Greek mythology like the Odyssey for the hero's journey inspiration. Cooper starts out like Odysseus, cast on some foreign shore, having lost a sense of himself. And that's what creates the, I'm going to say at trying, uh, at times trying, uh, character of Dougie, which I feel like (laughs) Dougie is such... It's, it's like, yeah. It's Did it's, your brain just, did you just have a stroke? I just became Dougie. Sure. There's
4: something, I mean, I think between Mark <laughs> Frost and David Lynch, I think the character of Dougie and in a lot of other um, uh, instances throughout the show, there's a lot of like henpecking wives and domestic like dull ache of just an aging man. And the idea that like, Uh, Dale, that, you know, Dale Cooper can thrive wildly in the suburban household just by, like, muttering whatever someone (laughs) saw. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And just getting shuffled along as an undead corpse.
3: Right. I feel like, and forgive me for saying this if you hate this take, but I feel like David Lynch's humor is kind of corny. Yeah. Like, the hard of hearing, his whole hard of hearing character, this character, the overly dumb, like, but but it, but, but when put up next to... Like, I wouldn't want to see a full-on comedy, I don't think, from Frost and Lynch, but when you put it up no. against all of the other elements and the horror and the imagery, it, there's, it becomes actually, like, you're kind of happy that it's there and that it's corny, I yeah. guess. Oh,
5: definitely. I, I think that that's absolutely true, and, and one of the reasons that it, those elements really work together is, like, he's not trying to have elevated comedy, necessarily. It's yeah. It's like a little... Like vaudevillian. Yeah, I guess a lot old of school's a
3: better way to say than cor like I don't mean corny in, in a I, I mean it in a certain sense. I think what I'm trying to say is what you're saying. A vaudevillian old school comedy.
4: There's like a, a popular interpretation that a lot of like the symbology of Twin Peaks is about uh it tele- like the act of watching television in of itself. Uh is the idea of like there's this thing that is electrically carried and like invades your dreams, all this stuff. And uh the original Twin Peaks is absolutely a hybrid of a soap opera, a mm-hmm. sitcom, and a police procedural, mm-hmm. the three dominant forms of television, especially yeah. for uh, people Frost and Lynch's age. So, like, I'd, the idea that, like, this er television show, this meditation on TV, has those elements isn't, like, it feels like it belongs, even though it is even though it also feels it doesn't.
5: Definitely. And that is actually that if I keep going back to Firewalk with me, I've really had a resurgence of interest in this movie <laughs> from doing this. Too, <laughs> much but. like
3: the people, much <laughs> like the American critics who panned it. In totally.
5: Um, <laughs> but at the very end, when when Laura finally spoiler, when Laura gets into the, the Black Lodge um, and she's sitting there with Dale Cooper, sort of like her protector, she's looking at something and it looks like a television screen is is playing and she starts to smile and laugh and cry and it's posited that she's watching twin Peaks. she's watching Mm. herself be recognized Mm. she's watching people be affected by her story and like the freedom of like watching that tv show so it is sort of like Hmm. an inception meta weird cycle thing with tv again there
3: i love that so this whole thing is written by Frost and Lynch over Skype. So if you don't think it'd be done in quarantine, it can. <laughs> the whole thing's written over Skype with the first year having zero actual script writing, taking place instead fleshing out storylines and characters. And after that, they decide to write the series like one long movie. And I think that's the magic trick of this whole thing is that it is not written episodically. It is not like it was in the original. This whole thing was fully written out and it equates to a 500 page script. They also decide Lynch will direct every episode. Showtime CEO David Nevins, this is the quote I referred to earlier. The version of Twin Peaks you're going to see is the pure heroine version of David Lynch. I I I hate that Frost is left out in these quotes sometimes. Though it's also the pure heroin version of Mark Frost. Like I actually, I
5: and for me personally, I consider it more of an Adderall version.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but maybe that's just my
5: brain chemicals. That's the way I. I Yeah, nothing's
3: really putting me to sleep per se as much as just making me yeah not sleep. Kyle MacLachlan spoke about how, since the show was written this way, he could see the whole thing so much better to guide his multiple characters, all four of them, all of their arcs and motivations. And uh, also, he did so much work on those characters. They created a lot of the character from just the costuming choices and things like that. There's this natural evolution, but, I mean, man, this guy... Did so much good work on this show. It's a and,
4: showcase for comedy. Yeah,
3: it's unbelievable, and I'm so glad he got more uh, of a do uh, in his career for with this with this run. Mm-hmm. But either way, you you uh, you you have all these characters and all these locations. Locations, by the way, are Twin Peaks, New York, Las Vegas, South Dakota, Philadelphia, and New Mexico. And the as we mentioned, all these characters really come together. It's fun to see them all, or a lot of them, in one room near the end, which is mm-hmm. nice. And one one reviewer praised it as the opposite of season two of Twin Peaks, with a large, seemingly messy storyline at the start, slowly coming together and slowly pulling into focus by the end. And it really uh, does Yeah, I do agree that. with that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: yeah. Do they mention the orbs? <laughs> are we going to acknowledge there the orbs? Are we or 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 just going to let the orbs go? <laughs>
3: I'm saying the word orbs. I'm saying it right now. I'll say it again. I think we'll talk about it maybe a little bit more when we talk about epi- specifically episode eight. Because I okay. do want to talk about yeah, that Yeah, we should
5: definitely talk about
3: that. <laughs> as a standalone. So, uh, but of course, there's a little more drama to talk about. Uh, first, the filming begins in September of 2015. But shortly after that, Lynch announces he's leaving the project. Lynch said, after one year and four months of negotiations, I left because not enough money was offered to do the script the way I felt it needed to be done. So after another month, Lynch announces he is finally coming back because they're giving him more budget even than before and, and more uh, and, I and need more, more
4: composite shots that looks like it was something out of *Mist* or The Seventh Guest, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> oh, Seventh Guest, hell yeah.
3: Before we get to episode eight, I want to talk about the music. They get back the amazing composer Angelo Badalamenti, and they did it... Uh, it, we talked about it in part one. I'm pretty sure you've listened to that one before you listen to this one. But it's they did that same approach of Battleminti just placing his hands on the keys in front of the piano, and Lynch just describing imagery to him, and him just putting it to music. And that's again how how they work on their on their and score. He gets
4: a little bit of do. He's the piano player in that restaurant with the casino guys. Hell that, yeah! Also known as the Triumph of Dougie.
3: <laughs> yes That <laughs> fucking slot Is the slot machine There no,
4: uh, Well that was the No that was That was still the, Mr. That's Jackpots early... Was still uh, yeah. Agent Cooper He, he wasn't fully Duggy
3: <laughs> <laughs> Then there are The performances At the Roadhouse Venue in Twin Peaks From various bands And I love that the The concept of this They're they're put there they're always like at the end Of an episode and they're there to bring you back To reality it's this way Lynch Lynch giving you an olive branch (laughs) After putting you through so much Mental anguish and insanity Being like here's just a performance in a Bar now we're returning to the real world Or
5: very specifically um, The alternatives of those Are very interesting like uh, I think It might have been episode five or Six where instead Of a band playing it's you're watching a guy sweep up
3: yes. Like mm-hmm.
5: peanut shells off the ground For a good four minutes <laughs> Yep And and then there's a little um, Piece after that But that's pretty much The end of the episode Instead right. of a band And you're like Watching the banging bar <laughs> Like you're like Oh this is an actual place This isn't just a dream This is a person Who's sweeping yeah. up After all these bands play Yeah
3: Totally Totally
5: And
4: they bring back James To sing the number one classic yeah. hit
3: just you. I like that song. You guys are bashing that song I've in the had study group, I've, and I think it's a great song. For two weeks, I've had
4: <laughs> Just You and I stuck in my head. And of course, oh, mercy notes and nosy dots and little Just that I've stopped listening to all other forms of audio. No podcasts, no audiobooks, no music. It's just 24 so 7. So you're doing good. You're doing good, is what you're saying. Thriving.
3: So just to name a few of the musicians in those Roadhouse venue scenes, Chromatics, which I thought was great, Mm -hmm. Arvor Simone, Sharon Mm -hmm. Van Etten. My favorite was Nine Inch Nails. I think that's like just one of the best live performances on a show I've ever seen. I don't know, in a thing. And then uh, Eddie Vedder makes an appearance under like a a pseudonym.
4: No, it's actually, no, uh, what's his name? Like uh, whatever, something Severson. It's his real name. That's his birth name. Oh. His real name isn't Eddie Vedder.
3: Oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's like there's this other amazing element to the whole run just, I, that I think is incredible. But let's talk about the most famous episode of the whole run. I feel like everybody brings it up when you talk about the return. Episode 8, the big standout. It contains very little dialogue, a ton of surreal imagery, and there's just really nothing else like it. In, in TV and it tells the story of and I'm glad to know this because I had n- I did not know like I did not get any of this in watching it the first time, but it tells the story of the creation of Bob that evil thing entity uh, that, that comes into play in the original run and it's done through a rift between dimensions created by the testing of the atomic bomb, and it also includes the conception of Laura Palmer. And this came from Frost urging Lynch to create an origin story for Bob. And Frost said, I had mentioned White Sands, which is a military missile testing site. And what if something like this happened? And again, it's all metaphorical, but what if something ripped a hole in the space-time continuum and opened Pandora's box, and things unanticipated and strange came out of the box, just like in The Myth? So Lynch takes that, creates a half page of pure description of what he sees in the explosions, which turns into 10 minutes of screen time. The script for that episode was just around 15 pages, which is incredibly short. An hour long script would be at least like 60 pages.
5: When you say it's a 500 pages, when you actually divide that up 18, it's like, you know under 30, 30 pages an <laughs> yeah, episode, which is not a lot. Yeah. And uh, because so much of it is visual and mm-hmm. there's so in every episode, there's so many scenes that are just visual to watch and they're so beautiful and just like sound design.
4: Because, well, one thing is that uh, spec- Lynch fucking loves... Pointing out how like getting from place to place takes actual time, even if it's just going to another room or walking (laughs) down a hallway or in one episode's case, driving from Texas to Washington State. And he will like make you feel like make you feel that distance and just linger and linger and linger.
5: I don't Mm. the way he does it, though, is so captivating to me. I never, ever feel bored when I'm watching those scenes. And it's like almost analyzing why am I not bored and why is it so boring when other people do it? Right.
3: <laughs> uh, the case in point um, uh, is Laura Dern's character going in the second to last episode, walking from her room to the FBI agent's room, and there's this really like intense score happening underneath it, and this kind of like noise. But she's rock. taking the
4: elevator. She's. It's like that that horrible uneasy process when you're like walking to the other side of a hotel and all the rooms look alike and the yeah. carpets like making your eyes blur and they just mm-hmm. like stay with her the whole
3: way. Yeah. And it's awesome. And it's really compelling. And that also is just a tribute to Lars Dern, who I is. So uh, one of my favorite actors, I think at this point.
4: totally. And she makes a great shortbread cookie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so that, that frog thing, people wonder where that frog thing came from in episode eight. And uh Lynch describes that. Saying, when Jack and I were in Europe, we caught the Orient Express in Athens to take us back to Paris. So, we're going up through Yugoslavia, and it's really, really dark. At a certain point, the train came to a stop, and there was no station, but we could see people getting off the train. They were going over to these canvas stalls with dim little lights, where they had these colored drinks. Purple, green, yellow, blue, red. But it was just sugar water. When I got off the train, I stepped into this soft dust. That was like eight inches deep and it was blowing and out of the earth, these huge moths like frogs were leaping up and they'd fly and flip and go back down again. So that Ooh. was the frog moth. Things just sort of show up in the world of Twin Peaks.
5: Yeah, that's cool. And that, that scene too where the girl is asleep and her mouth opens and it crawls yeah. in is so
3: fucking scary. Ugh, so scary. Oh. And also the Aleister Crowley Moonchild thing that we discussed mm-hmm. for for more background on that, and we talked about it in episode one. This is further confirmed in this episode because Laura Palmer's creation in the form of a Jake, in the form of a golden orb. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura Palmer's creation. She she she's created in that form, and then she ends up. Becoming the moon orbiting the Earth, and people think that that is indicating that she is indeed the moon child, which mm. was inspired by Aleister Crowley's work, uh, which yeah. is very interesting. And I also love like McLaughlin even had this to say about the whole thing, he, saying, "In the end, it's it's good versus evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's well, so it simple.
5: It is. It really. I think it is simple. And I think that that uh, the interpretation." That I got from that atom bomb thing It did feel like Human just dis- like the hu- Pure act of human evil Created Bob in, in the creation Of the Adam bomb which is pure Destruction Yeah, like Bob comes From that and pure then when you get all the
3: Destruction yeah. yeah
5: like we did this And and uh That when it goes over to the white lodge right. scene Where we see Laura Palmer in that It's almost like um it sort of lends that idea of that Firewalk With Me puts in where she, she, when they call her she's the one among many like she even though Bob has killed a bunch of people it's almost like they've she created a martyr. It's almost re- like a religious mm-hmm. thing where uh-huh. she is made to be tormented yeah. um, in order to stop Bob from moving forward with this. And so it's like kind of a sad moment. She's like
3: a blood sacrifice. Yeah, yeah.
5: basically.
4: It settles one of my biggest, like just hang ups with the show that like the story of Laura Palmer, the story of a sexual abuse victim who is driven, who is then murdered and like alienated from a town that can't help her is you don't need an entire cosmology of weird pantheons of gods and a meta story of good versus evil to explain that story. That's almost like, a weird waste of a cosmology to tell that very common story. But like this contextualizes it and makes it kind of like, you know, that she, yes, she was this beacon of goodness that was, unfor- was made to like, to be tormented. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
5: It is. It is a very religious figure in a lot yeah. of ways.
3: And people hold her up like that. I mean, how many times have you gone to somebody's place and they just have that picture of Laura Palmer? On <laughs> we certainly bookshelf?
5: don't have it on our mantle. Yeah, you guys
3: definitely have <laughs> it too. And I've seen it multiple places, you know? Like people, I think it really has become uh, um, a, a way to be slightly spiritual without conforming to any sort of religion, you know?
4: Oh, I just wanted to say this is the one fact that I learned just from having the captions on while I was watching uh that that intense intense discordant almost like wailful uh music piece that's playing Ugh. during a lot of the episode is a piece by uh Christoph Penderecki uh from 1960 called Threnody to the Victims of Hiroshima. Oh, that's mm. a
5: that's from the 60s. I didn't realize that was from oh, the wow. 60s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um that is a striking that moment whenever the bomb goes off and the only sound is that violin kicking in it's uh-huh. like gee, gee, I got goosebumps every that's time amazing. I see that. It's amazing. And, and then that scene, you know what else is really interesting about that scene is as they're going in, we're getting the view of going inside the bomb and it goes to all those flashes of images. It really is reminiscent of the end of 2001 Space Odyssey mm-hmm. where you're uh-huh. just like, you're just like inside particles and your yeah. mind is being fucking blown and it's yeah, really it's, it's really enjoyable. I me. definitely
3: feel the Kubrick in that episode. As yeah. A, as a huge 2001 fan too. You definitely feel that. And that sense of like, we're going to sit here, and we're going to experience this thing, and it's not necessarily about, like, what's happening next and what's happening next. And mm-hmm. it, and much like in 2001, you, you're you like, oh, wait, what even is a watching television experience or what even is a <laughs> yeah. film-watching experience? Like, I don't need to get to the next thing. I, I'm just in this, and I'll just be in this for as mm-hmm. long as Lynch needs me to be in this. Totally. So so the show ends up well, – we don't have to give up too much details of the ending. People gonna explore that on their own. But the show very much so ends in a way – that is, uh, I will at least just say a bit of a full circle type of ending and a bit of an ending where you could easily continue. It essentially resolves, I think, like it essentially resolves what it set Resolved, out to resolve. quote unquote. Resolve, quote unquote. But then there's still like just the whole concept of the blue rose, which is essentially the, the this fabricated dark. Magic thing Entity thing Um, I hope I'm getting that right You can essentially Now it it opens it up To tell You can tell as many stories As you want to Whoa whoa
4: whoa This Twin Peaks property Ended on a cliffhanger That's not (laughs) what I expected And I should complain about What a betrayal Of the innate promise Of the series (laughs) To have a
3: weird cliffhanger
5: Everyone knows If you watch David Lynch You want a solid Linear story With a happy ending
3: (laughs) But definitely check out if you want more answers. Frost gives them up in the Secret History of Twin Peaks and also Twin Peaks: The Final Dossier. So definitely check that out. They're generally disliked by Lynch because of how much they give away. If that's any but they're very out. fun and they're yeah. they're
5: cool books and they're really um they're illustrated and you're looking at like like typed pages inside the pages. So yes. it's it, it's very interactive and fun and kind of like yes video gamey almost. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. that's fun if you like that.
3: But it definitely, because the show ends the way that it, is, that it ends, uh, there is definitely, of course, constant speculation since of a season four. Lynch says he's, quote, learned never to say never, but then uh, when it comes to Twin Peaks continuing or anything else, but also, quote, this is the most David Lynch thing he could possibly say. It is calling, but there are a lot of disturbances. <laughs> it is calling, but there are a lot of disturbances, Jake.
4: Did he say that? Did he say it weird and bad? like, it's cool, <laughs> but brawling. there's
3: a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: and
3: uh, McLaughlin said, I think we're all just waiting for David to have the spark of an idea to go forward. it'd be a great journey. I would drop everything to do that. I think especially with like the character of Dougie and the way his whole arc is told, I would love to just see a straight up season of Agent Cooper being Agent Cooper. That
5: totally. would be cool. I- I would also, on that note, give a huge, huge congratulations and a round of applause to Kyle McLaughlin for playing yes. all three of those parts in the return, playing the most like dangerous human being that's ever existed, Mr. C, against Dougie, and playing both of them so yes. differently and like so captivating on both sides is like, man, that guy, that guy... Is a good actor.
3: He's really good. It's more than
4: just a insanely protruding chin. I'll say that nope. much. Yeah, for sure. Like four inches in front of his face. It's just, a, <laughs> just a, like a human ice pick, I'd say.
3: And on that note, I just want to say thank you, Natalie, for joining us for this insane two-parter. And it means so much more than just sitting down with us for an hour and a half or whatever to, to, to do this recording. It is a men- We put you through, I'm going to say, a bit of a mental <laughs> battering ram. uh, uh- You know, I deserved it. So, (laughs) So, And Jake as well. Thank you for humoring me. Of course, this was a Patreon-sponsored episode, but I had always wanted to uh, do this. So I'm so glad we finally got around to uh, taking on this insane, amazing property.
4: Uh, let me give a quick shout out to, uh, the, uh, we got some research assistance yes. on this episode by, from Sean H's son. Wouldn't have be able to do it without, without it. I, it was so in- immensely helpful. Uh, you can hire him yourself for any, uh, freelance writing and, or researching needs. He loves fan media, loves, uh, movies, TV games. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Sean number eight. Your, you are son. Sean Eight. your son. Uh, Definitely give him a look up. Give him a follow. Uh, quality. Quality man.
5: Um, I would also just like to, uh, at the end here, shout out uh, the organization Rain, uh, RAINN, R-A-I-N-N. Uh, if you are experiencing or you think somebody is experiencing um, any sort of sexual abuse, uh, just remember uh, that you are not alone whatsoever. Um, you can contact this great organization at rain.org or you can call 800-656-HOPE and you can also in Spanish it's rain.org backslash es and they can they can talk to you and you don't have to feel like you are alone in this world you are not and uh, you are not broken so please reach out Uh, you won't you won't regret it
3: thank you so much Natalie and and again thank you for joining us for this I guess I'll, I plugged it for you last time. Page seven's pop history and check out the Natty Jean on socials, as well as the the page seven Instagram and all that. Did I get everything? Anything else?
5: Uh, no, that's it. That's great. Great.
3: All right, cool. And for me, twitch.tv forward slash Ho. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do bonus content every single week for f- just $5 a month. And also our study session for 15 a month. You can join us on Sundays. We hang out and just check out whatever property we're studying and just chat with fellow nerds, and it is super fun. And everybody, so at least so far, has been way, way cool, dude. We have such a cool community, and I really appreciate you. That
5: sounded uh, like a challenge to somebody to make it not I know, cool. to make it horrible. All
3: right, God, it's going <laughs> to happen now. Jake! Uh, if you are a horrible person willing to
4: spend $15 <laughs> to make everyone have a bad time. Oh, yeah. We'll just take the money and boot you. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young, where you can read all of my thought poops. And that's all I have to say. All right. And always remember, ne- never stop losing And eat on losing. This show
3: is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.